0: instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details.
1: Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile?
0: The volume. We're back with another week of football and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups and walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code HOOPS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- Seven eight nine seven 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 seven, or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftKings.com football. Terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at the Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We are live on AMP. So if you're watching on YouTube or listening on our podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We're moving on to number six in our power rankings today with the Golden State Warriors, a full season preview for them. Then I've got three mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill. before we get started. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts under Hoops Tonight. And I need more mailbag questions, so keep dropping those in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them at the end of these shows throughout the season. All right, let's talk some basketball. So quick offseason recap on the Golden State Warriors. They lost Patrick Baldwin Jr., PBJ, Dante DiVincenzo, Jamichael Green, Andre Godala for now, who knows if he'll return at some point during the season, Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb, Jordan Poole, and Ryan Rollins. <clears throat> they added Usman Garuba is an undersized big he was a good rebounder off the bench for the Rockets last year. He had a uh in his career, he's 12 rebounds per 36 minutes. He can shoot a little bit too. He was 24 for 59 on jump shots last year. That's 61% effective field goal percentage when weighted for threes, and he converted spot-up possessions at 1.17 points per possession. The biggest question offensively is if you're going to be a big in the Golden State system, got to be able to make reads out of the short roll. So that's going to be a thing he's going to have to figure out. He only shot 56% at the rim last year, which is not good for a big man. And he'll have to be able to make the reads. So we'll see in the long run. Defensively, he's best in a switching scheme. So I think he can have some success in Golden State. Teams ISOed Usman Garuba 91 times last year and he allowed just 78 points, which is 0.86 points per possession, which is really good. He's good at kind of like giving ground and baiting guards into taking tough shots over the top. And then he's got a really long wingspan. He's got a 7'3 wingspan. So like he can bait guys and then get a really good late contest. So a nice little uh, uh, option there in camp for them to evaluate. Corey Joseph, a backup guard, uh, below average shot creator, but he's a really good spot-up player. He averaged 1.15 points per spot-up possession last year. Rodney McGruder, an athletic guard, good point of attack defender. I think that's kind of the angle they were going there with him. Um, somewhat limited off the dribble, but he did shoot well last year, 60% effective field goal percentage on jump shots last year with the Pistons. So Rodney Magruder will be uh, an interesting guy for them to evaluate in camp as well. Dario Saric, very good stretch big was watching him a lot with the thunder last year, 57% effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot jump shots. He can pick and pop and short roll really well. So he's a really natural fit in the Warriors offense. And, um, <clears throat> Once again, like with most of these guys, it's just going to be a question of whether or not whether or not he can hold up defensively. And I think he's perfectly fine as a bench big slash forward option for the Warriors. Then they uh, then we have to look at the, uh, <clears throat> the guys that they drafted this year. I'm not going to talk too long about them today because I did full scouts on both of these guys earlier this offseason. So if you haven't seen those yet, scroll down through our feed down to draft day and you'll see that we did full scouts on Trace Jackson Davis and Brandon Podziemski. Uh, But Trace Jackson Davis, I think he's got a really good chance to crack the rotation this year. Why? Because he's a good switch defender, good athlete and was a good role man last year. He was one of the uh, the better role men in the country last year, despite him getting absolutely swarmed. Like He was rolling into traffic because he was the best player on his team. I actually think in in this Warrior system, he could be deadly in the short role because he's going to be catching with room to operate. So I think he's got a chance to uh, play a little bit. He actually has a little bit of a face-up game as well. I'm just not sure how much they'll use it. And Brandon Podziemski is a skill guard with a – a skill set tailor-made for the Warriors' offense, a guy that I think is going to succeed there as well. But I'm not going to go any further because, like I said, you can get full scouts of those guys further back on our feed. The biggest splashy acquisition for the Warriors this summer was flipping Jordan Poole into Chris Paul, who was still one of the best half-court shot creators in the league last year. Remember our high-volume pick-and-roll list? At least 1,000 pick-and-rolls. Chris Paul, out of 15 guys who ran at least 1,000 pick-and-rolls, came in at seventh. So a little bit above average there, 1.06 points per Isolation as well. That's 70th percentile, so well above average there. And in the in the playoffs, he ran uh, 89 pick and rolls and isos for 89 points, and that's about a point per possession. So even as bad as it looked at times in the postseason for the for the Suns last year, Chris Paul was still good for a point per possession when you tossed him the basketball. Which is anything over a point per possession in the playoffs has real value. And again, he was in a lot of disrupted rhythm situations playing alongside Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. In this situation, I actually think he's going to get the ball a little bit more um, with the Warriors. So again, I look at it as just a more stable version of Jordan Poole. We won't have the highs that you got from Jordan Poole because Jordan Poole obviously is a more talented player at this point in his career, but you have a much better chance over the course of the season of maintaining leads with Chris Paul instead of uh, Jordan Poole. And then we're going to talk more about this later, but when you get to the postseason, when the teams start to get in front of the Warriors' motion offense, you need to have a guy that can run pick and roll at an, in an extremely efficient and consistent level. And Jordan Poole is just very volatile there. And so having Chris Paul will just give you a better opportunity to thrive in those environments. Looking at the depth chart at guard, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Chris Paul, Brandon Podziemski, Corey Joseph. At forward, Andrew Wiggins, Gary Payton. Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, so obviously very thin at forward, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. And then they're big men: Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Dario Saric, who can play some forward, and Uzman Garuba as well. Now, I want to talk about the roster imbalances for a minute because, again, like we we saw a, a couple of consistent problems last year, and it's really easy as a front office to blame something and to overlook some of the other factors at play. It's easy to say. Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, chemistry, we didn't play well on the road, we needed to upgrade, now we got Jordan Poole out of the, the, the situation, everyone's going to love each other again and everything's going to be great, and I think that that overlooks the reality of their predicament that they ran into in the Lakers series, which is, when they're able to play all their bigs, like when they can play Looney and Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Clay and Steph, that's great, and that works really well, and that lineup. Uh, will definitely be fine in the regular season, and they can beat a lot of specific teams in the postseason. But when they ran into a team with real legitimate rim protection, in this case, the Los Angeles Lakers, and they couldn't play both bigs at the same time, suddenly they had a really hard time figuring out that fifth guy, right? Oh, let's try Dante DiVincenzo. Okay, we're too small. Let's try Jamichael Green. Okay, we're too slow. Let's try Gary Payton the second. Okay, he's missing his corner threes and he's making good plays, but they just they couldn't get enough consistent production out of that second forward spot or call it the fifth starter, whatever you want to call it. But when Steph and Clay and Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green were out there, or when Kevin Looney was out there, they were just always one perimeter player short of the type of you know consistent starter caliber production they needed out of that specific. Position And the size issues were legitimate. Like against the Lakers, I was rewatching game six and uh, uh, the other day and 14 of the 15 for 14 of the first 15 Laker points in that game were straight up ISOs and post uh, post ups of smaller defenders. And like that, that problem is not going away. And you'd see D'Angelo Russell taking Steph to task. I mean, D'Angelo Russell even was attacking Gary Payton and drawing fouls. LeBron James just bullying Andrew Wiggins. And like, the Andrew Wiggins on LeBron, you kind of have to live with, right? Draymond on Anthony Davis. Like, Anthony Davis had a driving foul on, on Draymond. That you're going to have to live with to a certain extent. But you've got to limit some of the other parts in the roster where you're giving up size as well. Again, like, it's a down-the-roster thing. You know, like, And it's not just... The Lakers, you're going to run into that problem with a team like the Nuggets as well, right? The the, the interesting thing with the way the league has changed is you have different types of teams that you have to go through now. Like, I think there are, you know, I, I said this before, like there are six teams at the top of the league, in my opinion. The Warriors, Lakers, Suns, Celtics, Bucks, and Nuggets, right? In no particular order. And in that specific situation, you've got let's just take the Warriors out for a second. Let's look at these other five. You have five completely different types of teams. Like I've got the Lakers and Nuggets, which are just pulverize you inside type of, uh, of massive front lines. Right. And then I've got teams like the Celtics and the Suns that are like, stretch you out with multiple perimeter threats. Right. And then the Bucks are kind of a little bit of both now with Damon, with Giannis. Right. But they're all very different. And so you do need to have the ability to play multiple ways and, and, Right now, like, there's just a lot hanging on the young guys in particular. There's a lot hanging on can Moses Moody or Jonathan Kaminga become a rotational level option on the perimeter? Because I know they can go with the two big lineup against a team like Denver or a team like Milwaukee, but I don't think they can do it against, uh, and uh, Milwaukee might even be a stretch with their rim protection. So, like, they might be able to do it against, like, Boston and Denver. But they may not be able to do it against teams like Milwaukee and Los Angeles, right? So, like, you got to have both punches now. You've got to be able to play Draymond or Kevon Looney at the five and have four legitimate starter caliber perimeter players. And then you need to be able to play the big lineup against different types of matchups, right? The question is, can you play Chris Paul in those lineups? I don't know. Can you run Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green? Maybe we don't know, but chances are NBA history tells us you're really small there. You're undersized in your backcourt with two small guards. And then you're asking Draymond green to hold down the center position. Right. Which again, he's been capable of doing that his whole career, but that's easier to do when it's, you know, Draymond, uh, that's easier to do when it's, you know, Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala next to him is my point. It, it, you put a lot of pressure on the rest of your lineup when you're small elsewhere. Right. And so, Again, that's going to be the big balancing act for this particular season from the standpoint of uh, of roster imbalance. Do you trust Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga to become that reliable fifth guy in your smaller lineups? I don't know. And like, here's what NBA history tells us. Young players typically don't play well consistently in the playoffs. You struck gold by getting what you got out of Jordan Poole in the championship run. What happened to him in last year's playoffs is way more consistent with what happens with young scoring guards in the NBA playoffs. I'm not trying to discount it. It's not luck. Jordan Poole played great, but it was highly unusual. And what happened last year is much more consistent with what you'd expect. Now, Moses Moody just turned 21 years old. Jonathan Kaminga turns 21 in December, I think. So that's really young. Like, just look at the NBA Finals this year. There was one rotation player, like, significant rotation player for both teams who was below the age of 25, like, that played at least 100 minutes in the series. It was Michael Porter Jr., who was the one guy who didn't play well for the Nuggets in that series. It was Michael Porter Jr. Like, time and time again throughout NBA history, when you're counting on super young players – to succeed in the late rounds of the NBA playoffs, they typically don't. And so, again, you maybe it works out. Moses Moody had some moments. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but he shot the shit out of the basketball this year in the playoffs. And he had some moments where he was impactful defensively, but he also struggled with foul trouble and was a little inconsistent with his decision-making, right? Jonathan Kamingo was useless in this year's playoff run. So... Like maybe that works out, but I think they need to be prepared for the possibility that they might have to upgrade their firepower with a reliable forward, preferably one that can slot either between Wiggins and Clay or between Wiggins and Draymond. So one with a little bit of size and athleticism, kind of like what Otto Porter Jr. was in the championship team year, right? Like don't underestimate how important guys like Nemanja Bjelica and Otto Porter were. Maybe Dario Sarge brings that Nemanja Bjelica type of punch, but who's going to bring that auto Porter, like legit spacing threat that can play his role on the defensive end and not hurt you in those lineups. Who's going to be that guy, you know, and, and you have to accept the reality of your urgency as well, because like Steph Curry is a transcendently great star and NBA history tells us you don't win unless you have a transcendently great star. Last year, Jokic, the year before Steph, the year before Giannis, the year before LeBron, the year before Kawhi, the year before Katie and Steph, Katie and Steph, LeBron, Steph, you get the point. You don't win championships unless you have a transcendently great star. Steph is a transcendently great star. He might only have two or three years left playing at that superstar level. There is urgency here. Jonathan Kaminga, by the time Steph declines, won't even be 25 yet. He may not be a like a legit, reliable two-way playoff player for a half decade, and, and so like I, I do think that, and I, again, like I know it it sucks. It's like season preview. Let's pitch trades, and, and I I think they should try to start the season. I think it's a deadline type of deal. Like give Moody and Kaminga a ton of reps and see if by February they can figure it out. But you might have to consider pitching in. Some of these assets to try to give yourself a real veteran presence at the forward position that gives you a chance to to hang. Because let, let, let's be a hundred percent clear: the Warriors are in that same tier, in my opinion. But who's going to be favored in a Warriors Lakers series that starts tomorrow? Sorry, guys, it's the Lakers. Who's going to be favored in a Warriors Suns series tomorrow? Probably the Suns. Who's going to be favored in a Warriors Nuggets series tomorrow? Probably the Nuggets. Who's going to be favored in a Warriors-Celtics and a Warriors-Bucks series? It's going to be the Celtics or the Bucks. So, like, you're in that tier, but you're clearly at the bottom of the tier. And the saving grace that even makes you consider them in that tier is Steph Curry. And you need to give him the firepower that he needs to compete with these groups, especially when all of them massively upgraded. Like, uh, Chris Paul is a very high-risk, high-reward type of move. Like, there's a version of this that works extremely well. We're going to break it down. We're going to get into all the basketball here in just a minute. I'm talking big picture right now. But, like, there's a version of this that works really well, but there's also a version of this where he's really old and he gets hurt. There's a version of this where he declines too much defensively. There's a version of this where it's a bad fit. The Warriors run by far the most off-screen action of any team in the NBA. Chris Paul ran two off-screen plays last year. So like there's a lot of there's a lot of volatility in this particular type of move. So again, like it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of player they go after. But these kinds of forwards do become available. We saw last year, Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt, and the Lakers struck gold and got them both. The year before that, it was Ben Simmons and Torrey Craig and Trey Lyles. The year before that, it was Aaron Gordon. There's going to be some player that comes available, and they need to keep themselves in the mix and ready to pounce on that sort of thing if it arises. As as and again depending on Moody and Kaminga's development. It wouldn't be completely unprecedented for a young player to succeed. It just is unlikely. But it's not completely unprecedented, and it can happen. And like I said, Moody Moody feels the closest to me. Kaminga obviously has a higher ceiling, but Moody feels the closest to me, and we'll see what happens in the long run. A couple of guy, guys to keep an eye on. OG Ananobi. Uh, although at this point I'm half convinced the Raptors will never trade him. Jeremy Grant, uh, now he would need to buy into a role, and right now he's only interested in scoring, and that's to his own detriment. Uh, But if they could do it with Andrew Wiggins and converting him into a committed role player, I don't think they couldn't do it with Jeremy Grant, and I think he'd be relatively inexpensive, so that's an option there. A weird name that I thought about was Carl Towns. Not exactly the type of forward that I'm talking about, but from a talent perspective, he could be really inexpensive compared to other uh, stars. And, like, Cat's offensive versatility with Draymond's defensive versatility might allow them both to play together uh, often. So, like, that's a name I'd keep an eye on if the, um, uh, if the uh, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves decide to make a move. And then, like, obviously for the Timberwolves, Getting one of those young forwards as a as a option to put between Jaden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert in the long term that's an interesting idea, right? Dorian Finney Smith is a guy I keep an eye on. Now, uh, obviously, the Nets are trying to do this whole we're going to do five wings and switch everything and cause all sorts of problems, but they're kind of loaded in that middle round range, right? Like because you got Spencer Dinwiddie at point guard and you've got Nick Claxton as your center. But in the middle there, you've got Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Ben Simmons, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Someone's going to be the odd man out there, and I think because uh, um, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is a player that maybe if the Nets just suck to start the year and they start, you know, 15 and 30 or you know, 15 and 25, maybe you can jump in there and grab Dorian Finney-Smith uh, for one of those forwards, right? And then there are less expensive options out there that might not even cost you Moody and Kaminga. Like what if uh, what if CP3 gets hurt and you call the Hornets and you ask for Gordon Hayward, right? Or what if you call the Pistons and ask for Boyan Bogdanovich? Like there are, there are some options that they could go to there that are really inexpensive as well, um, that wouldn't be as risky. But I just think I think it's something they're going to have to keep an eye on because again, we know how good the Warriors' core lineup is, and if they start Looney and Draymond, and they keep Chris Paul coming off the bench and That lineup kicks everyone's ass. It's going to be easy to lull yourself into sleep and thinking, like, we're good. But, like, we know that lineup literally can't play against the Lakers and probably can't play against the Bucs and might not be able to play against some other teams. So, like, it's just something to keep an eye on over the course of the season. All right, let's move over to the offensive end of the floor for a little bit. So obviously we know everything we need to know about Golden State's offense. Uh, I've covered this team very closely over the last couple of years. You Warriors fans know this already from your time being fans of the team. I saw it the other day. Since Damian Lillard and Draymond Green got drafted the same year in 2012, now Draymond, Clay, and Steph are the three longest tenured players in the league with the same team. So like they they've been doing this forever for lack of a for lack of a better term right they're the most organized offense in the league they run more sets and actions than any team in the league they run less pick and roll than they were literally thirtieth in pick and roll frequency this year uh, we know their structure most of their sets are five out right and uh, uh, usually involve an off ball screen flowing into a dribble handoff flowing into occasionally a pick and roll um, it's a lot of structured two man game, meaning like they don't just dribble the ball at the floor and call for a ball screen. They run something to flow into some sort of ball screen, whether it's a handoff, a ball screen or an off ball screen, right? Like that's the way the Warriors run their offense. I'm not going to go too far into it. The Warriors attempted 947 shots in off ball screens last year, which was 318 more than any team in the league. And almost 800 more than the Philadelphia 76ers, to give you an idea of how it stacks up to a classic heliocentric, you know, brute force offensive team, right? Um, So what I want to do offensively today is just primarily focus on the CP3 fit, because that's going to be the one that's most different from what we see in previous Warriors seasons. Um, And most of the rest of the roster is pretty consistent with what you had last year on the offensive end. from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, let's talk about CB3. First of all, let's do it from two perspectives. What he's going to be able to do within the existing Golden State system and what the Warriors might be able to do to bring out what Chris Paul is best at, which is more slow-down, methodical, heliocentric basketball, right? So, I have heard um, through the grapevine that CB3 has gone to great lengths in this offseason to embrace this Warriors system. He's committed to trying to make this work. He is a competitor. He is a winner. He may not have won a championship, but he is a winner. And most of the time, it's been his body that's let him down in recent years, right? Like, he's doing his part to try to figure out how to play with the Warriors. And I think that's great. Um, Because I do think, even though he hasn't done those things in the past, excuse me, I think he has all the necessary skills to be able to do so. So, for instance, we talked about it. Um... Chris Paul last year logged three total off-screen possessions, and one of them I don't even think counts. We'll go through them real quick. Um, he scored on all three of them, by the way. Uh, against Oklahoma City in February, he came off of a double-wide pin-down at a left corner. So two guys went to set a screen. Chris Paul came off. Lou Dort was guarding him, tried to cheat the screen uh, and meet him on the other side. Chris Paul came off clean, caught right around the the wing, extended right around the slot, and took one dribble into the elbow and knocked down uh, an easy like little 18-foot jump shot. And then secondly, it was uh, a little bit earlier in February the same year, a baseline out-of-bounds play against the Hawks. And he kind of started up at the top of the key, and he came off of a screen towards the baseline and rose up off the catch and knocked down a shot. And then the third one was out of a horn set where he had Aaron Gordon on him, and Aaron Gordon was over pressuring him. It was in the Christmas Day game, and Chris Paul just did a rip-through move and was able to get to the foul line. But that doesn't really count. That's not really an off-screen play. So twice all year did Steph, or excuse me, did Chris Paul run a play coming off of a screen. And he's going to have to do that a lot more with the Warriors. But let's simplify it. From a skill standpoint, what does it take to do that? You need to be able to rise and fire, which Chris Paul has the ability to do. And then you need to be able to read a lock and trail and know that you're going downhill. And when you go downhill, you need to be able to make reads because Golden State's gonna invert their spacing, and there's gonna be a lot of space going down towards the rim, and there's gonna have to be somebody that steps over to help, and you have to be able to make reads. Chris Paul's gonna be able to do that. There's no reason why he shouldn't be able to do that. So, like, even though he hasn't done it in the past, I do think he's going to be able to step in and run a lot of Golden State's organic mo- uh, motion offense. the The biggest question is, is going to be how quickly will he pick it up. I think there will be some growing pains. I think there will be some times early in the season where it doesn't flow as easy. And like, here's the thing: like Chris Paul's a little bit of a ball stopper. Like he's he, he's not a a person who plays with tempo in the half court. He likes to take his time to interpret the defense. And Stephen Clay just couldn't be any further from that. Like, Steph and Clay are are guys that, like, when one of their role players catches and holds the ball for more than a second, they get pissed off about it, right? So there's going to be some growing pains early on, but I do think Chris is a smart player, and I think he's going to figure it out pretty quickly. The biggest question to me is, how much will the Warriors allow Chris to play his style? Now, I think you're primarily going to see this in two environments. Steph off the floor, and later playoff rounds against teams that force him to run more pick and roll, i.e. the Lakers, Right? But like this is the classic Chris Paul offense. This is the shooter in the left corner, shooter in the right corner, ball screener, and uh, shooter in the right wing. Right. That's and, and just all the space in the world to operate. Basically everything that Chris Paul has been doing for years with this, uh, the the Suns now. Similarly to what they did with the Suns, they ran a ton of Spain pick and roll, right, with Devin Booker. So as Ayton's rolling, you have Booker either setting, either setting a back screen for Aiton or Aiton's down screening for uh, Booker as he's flashing up high. It's like a three-man game, basically, right? And, you know, the Warriors do a lot of that with Klay uh, Thompson as like a flare screen. So, like, they'll have, you know, Steph start on the left wing and... Looney will come up and set a ball screen and as Steph comes off, like Clay will run from the left wing over the top of that, uh, uh, that screen back the opposite way, which kind of functions as a Spain pick and roll, but gives Clay Thompson the entire left side of the floor to operate. It's one of their five outsets that they run a lot. That's something Chris Paul can run, right? So like they can add some of the warrior complications and flair to it, but I would, I do think it's smart. To slow down a little bit with Chris Paul and let him run his style a little bit. He's just, that's just what he's, what he's been doing his whole career. And I think it'll help in two ways. Like One, it'll help you maintain leads in the regular season better by allowing Chris to play his style when Steph's off the floor. But two, when we get into the postseason, it's just one of those things where we saw what happened Jordan Poole crumbled, Clay Thompson struggled and Steph had to do everything, and his efficiency tanked. It was his worst, least efficient series since the 2019 Rockets series, right? So, like, we saw what can happen when Steph has to do everything offensively when he doesn't get the punch that he got out of Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson last year, right? So Chris Paul could be that fix. Now Chris Paul takes a third of those pick-and-roll touches. Now Steph Curry doesn't have to deal with the fatigue as much and the repetition as much. Chris brings a different punch to the situation – Obviously now you're weaponizing Steph as an off-ball player in those pick and roll situations. He can be the guy that's taking that Clay Thompson kind of like Spain flair, whatever. I don't I don't know what the Warriors call it, but that that specific action I just broke down. So like in that in that situation, Chris like legitimately raises your playoff ceiling, and 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 that that to me is like the upside of this move. I, I don't view it at because Jordan Poole's volatility is not as damaging in the regular season as it is in the playoffs. I do think Chris will do a good job maintaining leads, but Jordan Poole won you some games last year. Like, straight up won you some games. And Chris Paul may not have that type of upside, Uh, but I do think in the playoffs are where you're going to see the real upside there. Uh, The other thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see a lot of uh, Jonathan Kaminga setting ball screens for Chris Paul. He's a more natural vertical spacer, and that's something that Chris Paul has always thrived with is a good vertical spacer. He didn't get a ton of short roll reps last year. I think he only had like 15 made baskets all year out of the short roll, but I think that's something that he can do uh, more frequently, and I think Chris Paul is a good partner for him there. My biggest concern for CP3 is his defensive capabilities at this point in his career. I... Kind of got this feeling while watching him throughout the season last year, but I kind of got it again when I started watching uh, the film this morning. I watched a bunch of Chris Paul guarding and pick and roll. And it was kind of like what I remembered from the season. It was a mixed bag. Occasionally you'd see the old Chris where he'd be super physical at the point of attack and he'd navigate his screen super well. And he's really good at like bothering the shooting pocket. It's what all good little guy defenders are good at this, which is like, I'm not going to contest you up high. As you're trying to gather the ball, I'm going to try to disrupt that flow somehow, just with a swipe. Even if it just makes you move the ball a little bit or just slightly lose control. We talk about energy transfer all the time, like going from your feet up through the, the shot. When you disrupt that energy transfer at all, it throws off the muscle memory, and so it's a great way to be impactful defensively below the ground, like like below the rim, right? And Chris Paul has moments still where he can do that and do that well, but then also there are other plays where he's like. He took more defensive possessions off last year than I'm accustomed to, accustomed to seeing. He doesn't have the same quickness that he used to have. So, like, I, I mean, I'm curious to see how Chris Paul fits in defensively. But at the same time, Chris, uh, Golden State has a better defensive culture than really any team Chris has ever played for. So, it is possible that he has a throwback season on that end. And quite frankly, the Warriors are going to need it. To the defensive end of the floor, the Warriors basically had two defenses last year. Their home defense and their road defense. They were great at home. Third in defensive rating. Ninth in rebounding. Tenth in protecting the paint. Ninth in guarding the three-point line. But they were awful on the road. 28th in defensive rating. So they went from third best at home to third worst on the road, for the record. 23rd in rebounding. Sixth in protecting the paint but 28th and protecting the three-point line. Now, how do we interpret that? If you're great defensively at home, great rebounding, great protecting the paint, great protecting the three-point line, but then you go on the road and your paint defense stays the same, but you're giving up a lot more threes, you're giving up a lot more offensive rebounds, and in general giving up a lot more points, what does that tell me? That tells me it's a perimeter defense and rotation issue. So if you're going to be protecting the paint still as well as you usually do, but you're giving up a lot of threes and a lot of offensive rebounds, that tells me you're in rotation a lot. And to be in rotation, you have to give up dribble penetration. So as a team, their perimeter defense was not as good when they went on the road. They gave up a lot more dribble penetration, which forced a lot more hard help, which forced a lot more defensive rotation situations. Where you're giving up threes and guys aren't matched up, so you can't box out which gives up a lot of offensive rebounds. Dribble penetration, talk about this all the time on the show, but perimeter defense is becoming one of the most important elements of defense in the NBA. If you don't contain on the perimeter, there's a domino effect that destroys your defense. And so um, in this particular situation, like they just didn't defend on the road, on the perimeter well enough. I don't think it was Looney and Draymond. I think it was the perimeter players. That's you know, Obviously, there's a lot of different elements at play there, right? Like Because you have to ask yourself, how much of it is personnel-related? And how much of it was the chemistry issues that plagued the team last year? Because clearly at home, you did those things and you did them well and you won a shit ton of games. But it didn't work on the road. And like as is always the case, I think it's a little bit of both. Like the team clearly didn't play as hard as they did at on the road as they did at home, right? And that might have something to do with chemistry, and maybe Jordan Poole getting out of the situation helps you there. Obviously Andrew Wiggins going AWOL during A significant chunk of the season hurts you, Um, but I think it's on everybody. I think it's on Steph and Clay a little bit. Like, remember they they lost the game in Charlotte last year because Steph was like just not sliding his feet in front of Dennis Smith Jr. Right? Like they they all have to do better. It's not all Jordan Poole's fault. Like from the top down, they need to have a better commitment to the work when they're on the road. But I do think bringing in a starting caliber perimeter player. A la what Otto Porter Jr. was on the championship team. A guy that allows you to play small, but well, and, and that's more of an that's more of a playoff thing. The playing small thing is more in the playoffs thing. In the regular season, it's just depth. But having a starting caliber forward somewhere in there that fits your timeline more could go a long way to helping with those specific issues. Now, here's my prediction. Where I have the Warriors in this ranking at sixth is pretty much where I see them finishing this year. Like, if they stand Pat and Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga do what most 21-year-old basketball players do, which is get, like, a little bit better and not quite ready to play in the playoffs, I think they have a puncher's chance to beat any of those five. Like, I gave, over, I went over the odds earlier, but, like, yeah, the Lakers would be favored over the Warriors, but obviously the Warriors can beat the Lakers. I, I mean, I like, game four could have gone either way with the, uh, um, the Lonnie Walker stuff, right? And even D'Angelo Russell hit a big uh, shot at the end of game one, right? But, like, at the end of the day, when push came to shove in game six, you got your ass kicked. And so, like, the Lakers deserve to be favored, but, you know, the Warriors are certainly capable of winning that series. And I'd say the same thing about all of them. Like, if they played the Suns, like, there's a version of that where they, you know, Andrew Wiggins defends – uh, uh, Kevin Durant super well and Klay Thompson is a throwback series against Devin Booker and Steph just outplays everybody and you win. Like you can beat everybody, but the odds are stacked against you. You are a legitimate, like considerable underdog against all five of those teams. So if they stand Pat and they don't get a significant leap out of one of the young guys, I think they'll lose probably in the second round. But I think they're just one piece away from vaulting into that next tier. And I'll give you an example. If they just got O.G. Ananobi, if they got O.G. Ananobi, I think that would overnight put them on equal footing with the teams above them on this list. Overnight. They'd have as good a chance to win as the Bucks, as the Celtics, as the Nuggets, as the Lakers, as the Suns. They'd be, like, O.G. Ananobi just gives you infinitely more defensive flexibility. It gives you the ability to thrive on the road more. It gives you like the ability to hang with small ball teams and big teams. It changes everything for you. And, and so that that's an example of the type of move that vaults you from being a definitive sixth to one of six. And, and I think that, I think that's the kind of move that we got to be on the uh, lookout for uh, if you're the Warriors. Now again, Jonathan Kaminga, 13 minutes a game last year in the playoffs made 14 of his 27 jump shots, Shot 9 of 15 at the rim. Converted spot at possessions at 1.63 points per possession. But he fouled too much. He committed four fouls per 36 minutes in his playoff run. Obviously, there's some issues there that he's got to work out. Maybe it all works. But I, I don't think you can – I think it's too big of a risk with the timeline that Steph's on in his career to not make a bigger investment in this particular group. And I, and I do think Mike Dunleavy is more aggressive in his approach, and I think it's possible that he does. All right, let's uh, hit these mailbag questions real quick. And before we go to our three mailbag questions, I uh, wanted to respond. There was a comment in yesterday's video being like, said something along the lines of like, hey, like you said uh, Damian Lillard is so much better in pick and roll than Drew. And then you told us about how great Drew is in pick and roll. Like what, like just what's the deal? Um, I'll clarify this. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty obvious, but I'll clarify it. Like Drew Holiday had a productive season in pick and roll last year. Like, I think we, I think we pointed it out like fourth best among players who ran at least 750. Uh, I'm not trying to undercut that. Drew's a good pick and roll player and he can be very productive and he had great chemistry with Brook Lopez, but look at the way he's guarded. Like you're running basically a soft drop against Drew Holiday and you're not panic chasing him and putting two on the ball. Like we can acknowledge that Drew is a good pick and roll player who, against vanilla coverages last year, put up a good points-per-possession number, while also acknowledging that Damian Lillard is way better than him on the offensive end. Like, it's just it's just a fact. Like, Dame's going to put up the same level of efficiency in pick-and-roll against hyper-aggressive coverages that are blitzing him and showing like crazy. And, like... Like, like, literally in a Giannis Dame pick and roll, you probably still are going to just concede roll man possessions to Giannis. Like that—that's how insanely deadly that pairing can be. So, like again, Drew's a good basketball player. There's just levels to this. There's there's levels to this. Like, like Drew is really damn good. Dame is clearly way better than him. And I, I thought that was clear in the in the in the videos. But in case you didn't understand that, I wanted to kind of clarify that really quick. Um, first mailbag question. Love this question. With parity increasing in the league and the amount of talent at an insane level right now, do you think luck will become a major factor, more a more major factor than before, and if so, do you think it will be bad for the league? First of all, I never think parity is bad for the league. I see a lot of talk like this. I saw a lot of talk like this from Warriors fans when the when KD was there. Oh, we need a big bad guy villain. Like no you don't. Like uh, bad guy villains are good for the league as well. Like you want you want to have teams that you hate but parody is always best. Look at the NFL. The NFL literally has become monumentally more uh, popular in the United States because of parody in a lot of ways. Like, like you, you walk, watch any Sunday and any team can beat any team, and that, that's the and any team's capable of winning the Super Bowl. That's the advantage with the NFL, right? And like with the NBA, I think they're in a better place than they've been in a long time with parody, which is great. Uh, but I don't think it's bad for the league. I think I think you can have. B- I think you do have both. I think there are villains. I think the Lakers are villains. I think the Warriors are villains. Like the teams that have won multiple championships in the year over the years, they're villains. But you also have parity, which is great. Now, is it luck? A little bit injury luck will play a role. Injury luck always plays a role. But there's a lot of stuff that's not luck. Continuity is going to matter more than ever before. We talked about that after the Nuggets won. Natural basketball fit will matter a lot like we have a lot of teams that like look at the Suns. We're going to find out a lot this year about total talent versus natural basketball fit and and how much that matters. Coaching, that's a big di- differentiator. Look at Eric for the last couple of years. Star performances. Can you, if Jokic just kicks Anthony Davis's ass, it doesn't really matter what else is going on, right? Like individual matchups among stars can make a big difference. That's why Steph Curry and the Warriors as the sixth best team can't be written off because if Steph just monumentally outplays any of the other teams, like, they're going to win, right? Commitment to the dirty work. These are all things that are going to be separators. And that That's something that could be an issue for the Suns if they're not careful. So, like, all of these things matter. You know, the, the star performances thing. The Lakers have, like, this beautiful deep roster but like lebron is declining and anthony davis is not as good as some of the guys at the top of the league so like the lakers might lose just because of their top tier stars like uh, we're going to do a lakers video uh, a couple of them later in the next couple of weeks and it's like what really what it really comes down to for the lakers is can lebron the out execute in the half court some of these other stars and if he doesn't find his jump shot and get to that that point with his foot healthy they're not beating anybody right so like that's where That's where all those little things are going to become differentiators when you've got talent parity at the top of the league. Next mailbag question. Who do you think are the next stars slash all-stars that could be on the move? Obviously Harden wants out, but who could be a midseason Trey? Trey. Trey. Trey Young is one of the names I put down. Joel Embiid is a guy to watch out for with the situation in Philly. And then Carl Anthony Towns is another guy that I I could see getting moved this year. All right, lastly, this offseason – Boston has, in essence, switched up its guard core by replacing Smart with Drew Holiday. Defensively, how do the two compare and how much of an upgrade is Drew over Smart? Now, from the standpoint of archetype, I think Drew and Marcus Smart are like incredibly similar basketball players. Like, they're both a little over aggressive sometimes, where you're like, yeah, I wish he wouldn't have taken that shot. Uh, They're both like kind of versatile guards in the sense that they can play in the post, right? Defensively, they're both elite point of attack defenders that have the flexibility to play in switching schemes because they can guard up. So they're very similar. Drew's just a better version of Marcus, in my opinion, at all of those things. I think he's just a little bit better than Marcus at everything. And I think that makes him an upgrade. And so it kind of worked out beautifully for the Celtics because you needed Smart's contract to get Porzingis. And then you ended up using Robert Williams, who was another big that you got, and, uh, to, to, bring back, um, uh, to bring back Drew Holiday. And so now you – and again, Malcolm Brogdon, good player, I like Malcolm. He's going to help somebody this year. But I, I didn't see him as, like, that big of a needle mover for Boston, especially since Derek White just kind of ended up being better than him in a lot of ways, uh, especially on the defensive end. So, like, I tend to look at it as, like, really the only major sacrifice is a couple things. Robert Williams, losing him hurts your center depth. That's going to be an issue. We'll talk about that in the Celtics video. Grant Williams, obviously didn't need him much last year, but against teams like the Bucks. He could be serious value because he can guard Giannis a little bit, right? Against a team like the Nuggets, he could be the foundation for your Guard Jokic with a forward and help from behind scheme that everybody likes to use, right? So like I do think that they've cost themselves a little bit of front court depth and versatility, but bottom bottom line is they brought in a better version of Marcus Smart and if Porzingis can stay healthy, He's a better big than the bigs you were playing last year. So, again, as long as you have the health luck that you're going to need, I think Boston is actually significantly better today than they were last year. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. Tomorrow we're probably going to do – because we got like three and a half weeks before we get to uh, the season. So our last five season preview videos, we're still going to do them. They're just going to be a little more spaced out. So, like, tomorrow I'm probably going to do a media day reaction just all of the interesting quotes and stuff I saw at media day. And then we'll probably do number five on Wednesday. And then we might do on Thursday, a preseason reaction to the Abu Dhabi games. And then we might do number four on Friday, right? So like they're going to be a little more spaced out over the course of the next couple of weeks, but hopefully by the end of the next week, we'll be through our season previews. And then we'll just be covering preseason games at that point. And then three, I think exactly three weeks from Thursday, I believe is the season opener. So right around the corner, we're getting to NBA basketball. All right, guys, I appreciate you, and I will see you tomorrow.
2: See Lisa.com for more details.